Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Rifleman Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Rifleman Radio Show is a project of the Appleseed Program, which is sponsored by the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association sponsored the project in order that we can honor those men and women who came before us. We can honor the men and women who stood together on April 19, 1775, in order to safeguard our rights and our liberties. <clears throat> Welcome to the show tonight. Uh, we've got a lot going on. We've got uh, the beginning of the Fort Stewart show. And I'll tell you right now, we've got, uh, we'll have uh, Son of Martha coming on to talk to us about the show the uh we're probably going to split this up uh and do it in several sections uh i think that uh, son martha will come on and we'll uh we'll listen to the opening remarks by uh, uh lieutenant singletary 
and then uh, talk to uh, Senator Martha about that. And then a little bit later in the show, we'll have Jim Tomes from the uh, Second Amendment Patriots in Indiana on to talk about his group, what they're doing, and uh, how we can all get involved in safeguarding the rights and liberties left to us by our founding fathers. <clears throat> let's start. Uh, let's start the show first with the upcoming events. Now, this last weekend, the uh, December twelfth, thirteenth, we had quite a few events across the nation, and uh, I was lucky enough to work with a great group of instructors at the Austin Rifle Club in Austin, Texas. Uh, they've got a really nice range there, and uh, we had a really good shoot. We uh, had, uh, I think, 38 shooters total. Out of those, uh, we made two riflemen uh, on uh, Saturday and uh, had a lot of folks uh, right up there at the uh, 190-200 borderline score. And we had a tremendous amount of improvement across the board. That includes a lot of folks who showed up uh, on Saturday and on Sunday with very minimal uh, to non-existent skills in the handling and uh, uh, shooting of firearms. <clears throat> and, of course, that's our job. That's one of the things that we do best is we change that. Uh, at an Appleseed event, at an Appleseed shoot, you'll find all levels of shooters. Now, I'm not telling you that uh, going to an Appleseed shoot is going to make you a high-power bench rest shooter or a Marine Corps sniper or a SWAT shooter or a, uh, a tactical entry person. What I'm going to tell you is that at an Appleseed event, you will learn all of the fundamentals of shooting that you will need as a basis for the rest of your, uh, the rest of your shooting uh, future. We're going to teach you all of the, the basics of firing a rifle, <clears throat> and we do a great job of it. And uh, even though we won't, as I said, we're not going to teach you in one week how to become a high-power shooter or a sniper, we get high-power shooters that come through the course all the time. We get high-power shooters. We get uh, Marine Corps snipers, SWAT snipers. As a matter of fact, one of uh, my uh, best instructors here in Texas, is the head of a, uh, uh, the SWAT for one of the largest cities in the state, actually the largest city in the state. And he was uh, the SWAT shooter before he came to Appleseed. And what he told me after we got through with the Appleseed was, I wish I would have known this, I wish I would have taken this course before I took all the rest of them. Same thing with the high-power shooters. Uh, We've got uh, one guy in the program, uh, VA shooter, who is an excellent shooter. Matter of fact, he's shot competitively uh, for the uh, uh, for his country uh, for close to 40 years. And uh, I went through an event with him in uh, Ramsar several years ago, and he told me the same thing. Now, this is a man who's already forgotten more about shooting than uh, I will probably ever learn in my lifetime. And yet, what he told me at the end of the day, on the third or fourth day, was, you know, this would have really sent me a couple of years ahead uh, if I would have gone to a course like this 
way back when. We teach the fundamentals of shooting, not the basics of shooting. We teach the fundamentals of shooting, the things that you'll need to know no matter what level you were at. And it's something, as I said, that we are really good at. <clears throat> so the event this last weekend at ARC uh, turned out really well. There were uh, a lot of shooters there of all different levels. We had uh, two riflemen made. We had uh, uh, the majority of the folks up in the 180s, and uh, and we had a 100% improvement of every single person there. And I'm really happy about that. And the reason that happened is because, uh, if not me, it's because I've, I had a huge group of folks with me at the event, helping the, the people who came, helping them learn the skills and the techniques that we were teaching. Uh, that included uh, Respiratory Pop, uh, Metal Bot, uh, Brett Anderson, uh, Big D, uh, Will Troutman, uh, Mara and Roy Baker, and uh, Derek. I'm sure I probably I may have missed somebody, but uh, everybody that was there, uh, all the instructors who were there, put themselves. They pushed themselves to the limit. They pushed the shooters to the limit. When the folks are down there in position and uh, shooting, they, they're going to have a coach beside them at some point during the event. Is coaching them, helping them to work out the problems, helping them to uh, to understand what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and getting them to smooth it out and uh, and to become the master of their rifles. And these folks set a goal for themselves before they come. And listen, Saturday and Sunday, this last Saturday and Sunday at the Austin Rifle Club, were not pretty days. This wasn't uh, uh, a day at the park for the folks who came out there. And I'm always amazed at this, is that uh, we have an apple seed, and it wasn't a surprise that it was going to be cold and wet. We had two cold, wet days going into this. Two cold, wet, nasty days going into this. So it wasn't uh, a huge surprise that, oh, my gosh, uh, we came here expecting it to be really nice, and it's and it's cold and rainy. No, it was cold and rainy the, the two days leading up to it, and the forecaster said it was going to be cold and rainy. Everybody knew it was going to be and they were still there. That's right. They were still there on the line at uh, 8 o'clock, uh, getting soaked by rain in 40-degree uh, weather. And they still got down into their, uh, their wet shooting mats, and they shot. They listened to the instruction. Nobody whined. Nobody cried. Nobody said, oh, I'm getting wet. i got to go. Everybody stuck it out, even if... Even if a good portion of them were uh, shivering during the instruction, they stuck it out and they shot. That's what apple seeders do. Because apple seeders want to become riflemen. And riflemen persist. Riflemen adapt. Riflemen overcome. That's what they do. I tell the folks that I, I look forward, actually, to inclement weather shoots. Because when else are you going to get down in the rain all day long and shoot? You're not going to do it on your own, right? Nobody in their right mind goes over to their buddy's house and says, listen, hey, it's raining pretty good and it's about 40 degrees. Let's go to the range and let's shoot for 10 hours. 
and then that person says, hey, great idea, yeah, let's go. No, because the, the first person wouldn't say it, and if he did, the second person would say, listen, you're nuts, okay, go home. But apple seeders don't. Apple seeders grab their gear, they get to the range, they help with the setup, they listen to the instruction, they shoot the red coat first thing in the morning, and then they dig their heels in, and they learn. The instructors instruct, the students learn, then we start shooting AQTs, and they start seeing how good they're doing. They persist, they adapt, they overcome. So Saturday was a cold, wet day, and yet nobody took off. Nobody left. Everybody shot in the cold rain. Everybody learned. They set themselves a goal of becoming the master of their rifles, and a large portion of them met that goal. The other portion of folks set themselves a goal of becoming, uh, of improving their rifle marksmanship skills. And listen, everybody there met that goal. And when they do, when the apple seeders meet their goal of improving their rifle marksmanship, the next logical question always is, what's next? What can I do next? What is my next challenge? What is the next goal I can set and that I can meet? And that's what they do. That's what we do. That's what a rifleman does. I was really proud of the of the folks on Saturday, just like I'm proud of the folks at all of the events that I go to. Whether it's cold rain, whether it is a 138-degree heat index, uh, whether it is a 45-knot uh, wind, whether it's a hurricane, or I don't know what the equivalent is, but uh, we had the the equivalent of a dry hurricane. Uh, I was looking at some of the tapes of it the other day. Uh, we were sitting there talking during uh, one of the history sessions, and it's hard to even hear the guy. And you can see the dust uh, going by at uh, 35, 40 knots in the background. And yet everybody is still riveted there listening to the instructor. That's because a rifleman never stops learning. A rifleman never stops teaching. A rifleman continues to seek ways to protect the freedoms the Founding Fathers left us, to improve himself, his home, his family, his community, his state, and his country every day of his life. A rifleman adapts, a rifleman overcomes, and a rifleman persists. And I'll tell you, as I've told you a hundred times before, this isn't some uh, pretty fancy gilded rhetoric that we throw around like popcorn and pennies. This is the code we live by. And there's nothing wrong. Nothing at all. No matter how how often the uh, the talking heads and tell you that it's wrong or it's outdated, corny, uh, stupid or cavemanish with having a code by to live by in your life, there is nothing wrong with it. And modern Americans have forgotten their code. They've forgotten how to be Americans. And that's one of our jobs. We're here to 
we're there to help them remember. <clears throat> All right. That was last weekend. We have uh, several events coming up before the end of the year. The weekend of December 19th and 20th, we have Carlsbad, New Mexico. We also have El Paso, Texas. That's uh, Fort Bliss Rod and Gun. Mannheim, Pennsylvania, and Sierra Vista, Arizona. The weekend of the 26th and 27th, the day after Christmas, perfect time to uh, bring the new rifles you've got. We have Davila, Texas, right here in Davila, 26th and 27th, El Paso Community College, which is the El Paso Law Enforcement Center in uh, the indoor range, the 26th and 27th. Once again, that indoor range is uh, is limited to 20, 20 positions. If you want to make sure that you get a shooting position, you'll need to go to appleseedinfo.org. Appleseedinfo, one word, dot org. Once you're on the homepage there, look up in the left-hand, uh, top left-hand corner, you will see Appleseed. You click on that, it will give you a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, go to Schedule. I'll bring you to the page that I'm reading from now. On that page, it'll be list- the shirts will be listed by their dates. You'll have the month, and then you'll have uh, underneath it, in alphabetical order, you'll have the uh, the cities, the locations, and the dates beside it. Now, you'll go through there. You'll pick an event that you want to attend. And then to the right of that are two other hot links. One says information. That will give you the information specific to that location, uh, how to get there, what to bring, etc. And then next to that is register. You click on register. That will take you to the third-party software, to the Eventbrite software, it will allow you to register for that specific event. Now, <clears throat> this benefits you by making sure you have a place on the line, and it benefits us by making sure we know how many people are going to be at an event. We're no longer doing 50 events in a year, right? We're doing 50 to 60 to 70 events in a month. We're having to ship thousands of people, uh, 900 packages, uh, across the United States, that includes uh, hotels and airline tickets, rental cars, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So all the help you can give us by pre-registering, we would sure appreciate, because if you pre-register, that lets us know how many people are going to be in an event, which means we need to know how many instructors to have at that event, how much supplies that need to be there, and if we look at an event and we see a closing out early, we're going to do everything possible we can to secure additional line. Uh, maybe at that same range, maybe at a range uh, across the other side of town, maybe at one five miles from there. Whatever we can do, we'll try and do it. But I'll tell you what won't happen is it won't happen if we don't if you don't pre-register and we don't see the need for it. So to, in order to secure a place for you on the line, make sure that you pre-register. Okay, do that by going to appleseedinfo.org. Looking up at the uh, left top left corner, you'll see uh, an Apple Seed tab. You click on that, go down to Schedule, click on that, and that will take you to the page that I'm reading from now. <clears throat> All right, the 27th and 28th, Calverton, New York. In January 2010, we have 
the Austin Rifle Club, January 9th and 10th. Corona, California, January 9th and 10th. Peterborough, New Hampshire, January 9th and 10th. Hubertus, Wisconsin, January 9th and 10th. Fresno, California, January 16th and 17th. Kingman, Arizona, January 16th and 17th. Mayaca City, Florida, January 16th and 17th. North Little Rock, Arkansas, the 16th and 17th. Uh, Piru, California, 16th and 17th. Lemoore, California, will be the 23rd and 24th. Ramsar, North Carolina, the 23rd and 24th. Sacramento, California, 23rd and 24th. And then Buckeye, Arizona, January 30th and 31st. Now, keep a tight uh, look on the schedule because there will be more events being added all the time. So just because you don't see one right now doesn't mean there's not going to be one in just a few minutes. Uh, pardon me. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to bring on uh, Santa Martha from uh, the Fort Stewart shoot. He uh, was one of the uh, many uh, instructors that went to Fort Stewart for the uh, shoot there. Uh, and uh, he's going to give us kind of a teaser for the uh, for the show. And because uh, a lot of these files are so big from the Fort Stewart, uh, we're probably going to bust this up a little bit, and uh, we may just do the uh, the intro tonight. But uh, but we'll get Santa Martha to uh, to tell us what happened at the event, and uh, to tell us what is going to be on the rest of the tapes. Uh, are you there, Santa Martha? Can you hear me? Area code nine seven two. Oh, hello. Yeah, is this Ron? No, sir. Okay, who is this? Uh, my name is Frank Costick. K O S T I C K. <laughs> okay. Uh, I saw your ad in the Shotgun News. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you have no physical address. I don't have a computer. I don't have a computer. Okay. And uh, there's a couple of things I was interested in ordering. Uh, uh, I have an M1A. Uh, uh-huh. I was in the Marine Corps back in 66, 7, and 8. Uh, we had M14s then. Right. And uh, when we went to the uh, infantry training regiment, we had Garands. But uh, then, then when we went, you know, got out of the training and we went to the regular Marine Corps, we had M14s again. But uh, you needed some equipment or some targets or something? Yeah, well, uh I'd like I'd like to uh get get your address uh when I get some money. Uh I want to send for these M60 uh pouches that hold 3 3 M14 magazines. Oh, okay. Pa- well, listen, of, do you have a computer? Of, no, sir. I de- that's oh, why I'm don't? on the phone. Oh, okay. That's why well, I'm asking for a physical address to mail to. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to put you back on hold for a minute. All right. But don't hang up, okay? Right. Because sure. what we'll do is we'll dig up the address that you need for for the uh, for where you need to order it, right. and uh, then we'll get that uh, we'll get that uh, given to you over the lo- over the air, okay? Sure. Thank you. Okay. Well, so I'll talk to you in just a minute. All righty. Okay, Santa Martha. I clicked on the wrong icon. <laughs> okay. okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Outstanding. Okay. Well, welcome to the okay. show. Uh, and uh, I want to tell you, I think I read the after-action reports for the event, and uh, I've listened to the audio of it, and uh, I'm just amazed. I'm just heartbroken that I couldn't be there, but uh, I'm amazed by it. So give us a uh, give us a quick rundown on uh, on how the event went. Well, it was it was an amazing experience. I'm still amazed myself by it. It's one of those things I don't know if I, I don't know if you'll ever get over unless it becomes a regular part of Appleseed. Well, first of all, who was, uh, who, did, who was there that you went to uh, to work with? Well, it was the first of the uh, 178th Field Artillery, and they are uh, in a spool up for deployment to Afghanistan. And to the credit of their chain of command, they really see they're going to be sent over there to be convoy guards and, and uh, uh, guards at uh, contingency operating bases. So it's not their normal tasking. Right, so to the right. credit of their chain of command, they realized that the situation they're going in, they needed to uh, to brush up on their individual rifle marksmanship skills. <coughs> and uh, you know Bolt Gun 71, of course. Uh, yes, sir. Sergeant uh, Hawes. He had done a little informal training class with some of their people a few weeks before in which they were absolutely amazed at the results. Uh, a little four-day training class for 20 troops and that he run by himself, and uh, they made significant improvement. When they asked him to come back and, and, and train the whole battalion that way, he said uh, you know, that he wouldn't be able to do it himself, and besides, he's got orders to go somewhere else during the time slot they had available. But he put them in touch with us. Um, we were able to pull together a team of 10 instructors and actually ended up having to do it on kind of short notice. Uh, so the instructor's corps responded magnificently to less than a week of advance notice and showed up at Fort Stewart. The, uh, we were given two platoons per day to work with. We only had each group of two platoons for one day. So it was a very abbreviated apple seed that these gentlemen got. Not only that, uh, they had to do the entire event in full body armor, K-pots, uh, the, whole, the whole nine yards of what they were going to be carrying into combat. So they were well, now, considerably less comfortable than most apple seeders. Right, but they are... Uh you know, I was talking earlier about the folks that come to an apple seed, and I was talking about how we get uh, uh, no small portion, I would say up to a 25% or so at events, are folks that uh, either have had no rifle marksmanship whatsoever or the last time they uh, decided to uh, shoot a rifle or something, it may have been uh, a quarter of a century ago. <clears throat> but the uh, at least the, the military... At least these guys, uh, you know, you know about where they're all at. Uh, you know, uh, they're they're at least all pretty close to the same place on the page, and they have to listen. <laughs> they have to listen, and not only that, they were they were younger people. Um, it's a National Guard unit, so you know they were a little bit older than uh, the normal regular army, I believe. But uh, still, in all, they were in good physical condition. They all had the same rifle. Um, though the accoutrements varied within each squad. We had uh, gentlemen show up with the M203 grenade launchers with the PEQ laser sight. Uh, they had a mixture of the M68 close combat optic and the ACOG. Um, 
and of course everyone had to flip up backup iron sights as well. But it was it was easier in a way from that standpoint that um, these gentlemen were able to get into the shooting positions um, physically. Um, it was a little bit harder from the standpoint that uh, we only had one day to work with them, and it was South Georgia. All except the first day was 90 degree plus temperatures and uh, very high humidity. Let's talk about that um, high humidity for a minute, because I was also talking about weather <laughs> earlier on about how uh, you know with the apple seeds that uh, uh, that the, I would say more than half of the apple seeds I've been to have been in inclement weather. And I and if you look at the uh, AAR pictures on this one, you'll see one very telling picture where all the rifles <laughs> are lined up, and you only see parts of the rifles sticking out of the water. Yep, that was the monsoon day, the first day of all. That was. Uh, that was our trial by fire, or water. And we actually ended up having to move the firing line. Whenever we first arrived at the range and spoke with uh, Lieutenant Singletary, the officer in charge, to develop a plan for where we were going to put up the target lines and have the firing line, um, everything was still dry. I mean, it had been raining, but it was a light rain. It had not started to accumulate. And by about chow time of the first day, we discovered that we're the... Uh, where we had placed the firing line in some nice, dry, grassy soil was actually in a low area, and we had pools of water up to four inches deep in some spots. So we ended up having to send the soldiers to chow early and moving the whole target line downrange to where we could find a place that was better drained. I was starting to become concerned that there was a, a safety issue there with having those rifles grounded, half submerged or more. But the troops responded well. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was some, that was something that was very uh, noticeable as a difference from the standard apple seed, and that there was there was no uh, well griping, I guess is the right word for it. It was muddy. It was wet. Uh, they were going prone, and and some guys were going prone in four inches of water there for a little while before we moved the firing line, and these guys took it in stride. Well, I tell so. people that. Uh you know, when they ask me, they'll, they'll you know, if there's rain uh, in the forecast stuff, I'll always get a few uh, emails or phone calls saying, hey, uh, it looks like there's going to be rain. Are you still going to have the apple seed? And I tell them, absolutely, absolutely. I've never canceled an apple seed for uh, weather. Even if I, even if there was a 100% chance of rain, I don't cancel them because, uh, just like the gentleman that just called a little bit earlier, there's a lot of folks that don't have computers don't have any way to get the information that's canceled, and uh, I swear I'm not going to have uh, somebody drive, uh, you know, 100 miles, 150 miles, and show up at an event and not have me sitting there waiting for them, uh, you know, just because of the rain. <clears throat> and uh, and the people, I tell them that the apathy program is much like the military in the fact that it, it does not really recognize weather, uh, you know, in uh, as far as uh, training is concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the standard policy that they're rain or shine, and uh, actually I consider environmental challenges like that to be a uh, value-added training opportunity at no additional charge. <laughs> exactly, because how else? Like I, I in my uh, introduction earlier, I was talking about how else are you going to know how your rifle system works? Because you are not going to uh, when your buddy comes over to your door and uh, knocks on your door and says, hey, let's go to the range. And you look out there, and it's pouring down, and, 
He goes, let's go to the range. Let's, uh, let's go out in the, in the uh, wind and the rain for about eight or ten hours, and let's see how our rifles work. And, uh, you know, you're going to say there's no way. And yet, that's what we do at Appleseeds, and that's when people find out how their rifle systems work in inclement weather, how many rounds you can fire uh, if you have a 25-knot wind blowing uh, an ounce of dust per an hour into your action, uh, you know, how it fires when it's wet, etc. I mean, that's where you learn about your rifle system and about you. How do you react when you're cold and wet? You know, can you still shoot? Absolutely. If you can shoot well under adverse conditions, you can shoot well anytime. Now, that's something else that was interesting. All of these rifles uh, were in force, and other than the first string of fire where we were, some of the rifles had been carried a great deal and not been cleaned for a while. So we did notice that on the first string of fires, there would be occasional failures to extract. Once those were taken care of, the rifles functioned well the rest of the day. So, uh, you know, for people who are wondering about the M4 weapon system or the AR-15, uh, if you get a quality-made one, it'll it'll handle it. Anything that you can stand, it can stand. Got, uh, I've got <clears throat> Lieutenant Singletary's uh, audio uh, uploaded here. You want to try and play that? Yeah, let's let's hear the lieutenant. All right, let me go and give this a try. We'll give this a shot and see how it sounds. Uh, Do it. 
He was the uh, uh, the rain safety officer. Is that right? That's correct. The officer the, in charge. Uh, he was the officer in charge of the range. And uh, I'm telling you, I start laughing every time I listen to that because he's like uh, he's like the James Brown of the uh, range safety officers. <laughs> he does. The lieutenant likes to put on a show. And I got to tell you, the first day that we were there, when he he stepped up in front of the platoons and started his briefing. I thought, oh, my goodness, this fellow's a goofball. But that it's an act. Right, it's something right. to keep the soldiers interested. It, it, it's something to get them pepped up and get the circulation flowing because what you can't tell from the recording is they were sitting in the bleachers for a little while before he got started. And he is a serious, serious lieutenant who pays attention to the details. It, it, it was a, a real pleasure working with a lieutenant all week. And uh, I was the lieutenant, the battalion master gunner, Sergeant First Class Reinhardt, battalion S3, Major Turner. Uh, it, was, it was sad for me to leave these guys because it was such a pleasure working with professional men on a mission with that focus and intensity that sometimes we don't see as much as perhaps we ought to in our day-to-day lives. Right, because here are these guys. Now, <clears throat> of course, we don't do training, right? We do instruction. We instruct people on how to, uh, in how to to uh, use and understand the the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. You know, training training implies uh, stuff that we're doing for future use. However, in the military, that's exactly what the that's exactly what they are doing. They fully intend. Uh, that at some point they may have to use this, and they understand 
uh, with a sharper edge of the spear than we do the seriousness of this. And uh, I'm sure that those guys were listening uh, very intently to the instruction because they want to make sure they're able to do it. You know, if they, if they if it comes to them having to use their uh, rifles, then uh, then they're going to need the instruction and the skills and techniques that you guys were teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was also interesting that these soldiers seemed so glad, so grateful to have someone coach them. And it struck me that uh, when you think about how a soldier goes through the military, at least until he gets into Special Operations Command, that the only real rifle instruction he's, he's likely to get is in basic training. And after that, when you go out to qualify, there's really no time for coaching and instruction. It's assumed that you learned what you needed to know in basic training, and we just need to test you to make sure that you're able to do it. And so to have the, the, these guys really bought into the opportunity of having coaches there with them on the line to help them with their positions, with their techniques for the integrated active rifle shooting, responded yeah, very well to that. That you're that you're absolutely right. You know, I did uh, six years and uh, and uh, and all of it was in combat arms. You know, I was at the sharp end of the stick there, and uh, you know, I, for the first couple of years, uh, even as a uh, infantryman, you get no instruction. Now you, sh- you you end up shooting a lot, but you get no instruction, no formal instruction in it. And I always thought that was strange. I said, you know, here we are. This is this is my primary tool. My primary job is to uh, is to use this rifle to uh, you know to to get my job done. And yet I don't get I get less instruction on the rifle uh, than I do on how to polish my boots. And uh, I just always thought that was strange. And like you said, yeah. Until I, now, later on, once I got into uh, into uh, the Rangers and the uh, uh, and the the more specialized ops, then we got more a little bit more training. And some of it, of course, was just because uh, I joined some rifle teams and uh, started doing some of the rifle stuff there. But <clears throat> other than that, you just get. Uh, you grab your magazines, you get uh, in your position, and they start hitting the pop-ups, and that's all you get. I mean, you get a, you get somebody talking to you and saying, "Here's what we're going to do. You're going to shoot at this position, this position, this position. You'll have this amount of time for it. All right, let's go." And then you go out there and you shoot, and that's it. Mm-hmm. They, they were also pretty excited about the the talking targets block of instruction. Whenever we handed out the shot group analysis sheet took them down there and, and, and started talking through how to analyze what their target's telling them and how to plug that back in to what they're doing to improve. Um, that's something that, you know, pop-up targets are fun, but the feedback's pretty limited. It's a, it's a pass-fail exercise. And by shooting at paper targets, um, you have a record as to what actually happened versus what you think happened or intended to happen. Right. Where did and you hit? Where it, did you actually hit that pop-up target? Did you actually hit it? You may have hit in front of it and, and slammed some gravel into it. You know, you don't. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everybody. And, everybody, whenever we do it, when we have an event, everybody, when they get the talking targets part of it, I think that really grabs their attention because otherwise, most people go to a range, go to the rifle range and shoot. 
but they don't know what they're doing there, and they certainly don't know what it means when they go down and look at their the the, uh, the paper. They shoot their 10, 15, 20 rounds a year at the range. They go down there and they look at the target. And they go, well, I got some on the target and some not on it, and uh, well, I don't really know what to do next. So I guess I'm going to go home. And uh, the talking targets really helps connect the folks to understand what they're doing. We, make a, we teach a systematic process of self-diagnosis, troubleshooting, and improvement. And if you follow the process, you really cannot help but become a better shooter. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm, I'm given to understand that the qualification uh, course of fire has changed a little bit in recent years, but the one that they were using, they would fire 20 rounds from a prone supported position with a sandbag uh, was the first part of it. And it was gratifying to us as instructors that on one of the days, I think it was Thursday, a lot of the soldiers, whenever they came to the prone supported position on their actual qualification test, they wouldn't use a sandbag. Instead, they put put the sling on like we'd been showing them and fired from a, a prone <laughs> slung position rather because than using a sandbag better. rest. <laughs> yep. Because yep. it works better. And you you understand that very quickly. Mm-hmm. And we did not suggest that. That's something they picked up on their own and, and ran with, and it was a, you know, it was a big boost for us to see that happening. Wow. Well, listen. Let me ask you another thing. What about? Uh, <clears throat> have you heard any uh, feedback from uh, any of the units? Have you heard? Uh, uh, have they said anything about it? Uh, I know that uh, they said stuff to you whenever you were, when you guys were getting ready to go and stuff how appreciative they were. But have you heard anything back from the units uh, since they've been deployed? Uh, no, they've not actually been deployed yet. Um, OG has a, uh, a link on the forum to a newspaper article talking about their deployment dates. I believe it's in January. So, And I'm sure that these guys have been, been busier than a one-legged man in the butt-kicking contest getting ready to go. So uh, I don't expect that we'll really get much feedback from them until they return from their deployment. Right, and we're going to so keep working on uh, we're going to keep working on trying to get this uh, this program expanded. I'm working on it here in Texas. I'm trying to get uh, the folks at Fort Hood to let us come and do some uh, some apple seed events there. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that's one of one of the things that Fred has tasked me with. I'm making a a a little crib sheet for future shoot bosses at military-sponsored apple seeds um, to help things go a little bit more smoothly. Um, we did fine, but, of course, we had, a, we had a steep learning curve ourselves. You know, there's the, the culture shock of going from a – as a matter of fact, I did an apple seed the weekend before, left the apple seed, and then went to the base, and suddenly you're living on a military base, cheek by jowl, with a bunch of hairy-legged door kickers, and it's a culture shock, especially for a middle-aged fat guy like me. Yeah, but you're uh, ex-military. No, no, not me. We had some of our instructors who were ex-military. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a completely, completely different civilization. And then, so there was the culture shock. Then there was also the, the getting in sync with some of the range regulations. Like, for instance, uh, the fact that these guys were shooting in full battle rattle. And I pointed out to the master gunner early in the week that 
it would probably be more productive from, from purely training on fundamentals if they could come and shoot slick. And I actually suggested if they could shoot with just a uniform and a soft cover the first day and then have another day where they, they put on all the gear and yeah. learn to adjust the fundamentals to work with what they had to carry. And it turned out that it was a range regulation. Yeah, you've got to be in gear. you got to be in so, gear. All You've got to be in your body armor. you got to be in your Kevlar pot. Everything's got to be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that was that was one of the one of the things we had to step over. But uh, I, I can't say enough about the staff, uh, the the Appleseed staff who showed up for this event. They had very little preparation time, and essentially, what we per- how we performed is how we perform in the Appleseed. This was just bigger. Um, the firing line was over 100 yards long. We had to adjust our procedures a little bit um, to make to make that work out for us. Uh, we've been to some big apple seeds before. I've been, I think, the largest one I've been to was 105 persons, but that was split up between five different firing lines. So running a single large firing line required some adjustment. Uh, and of course, we were always pressed for time since we only had them for one day. But right. I can't say enough about how well our staff performed in adjusting on the fly, not sitting there worrying over obstacles or issues, but instead finding a way around or through them and keeping a really good attitude, a, a motivated attitude. Um, it was it was the closest thing to heaven I think you can get on this earth. <laughs> There's nothing better and than being in the company of riflemen. Well, listen, what about... What about the the reaction of the troops of the guys to the to the history? That was something that was interesting to me because I I was fully determined. Okay, apple seed includes history. You can't have an apple seed without having history in it. So I was determined that we were going to do history. Now the history had to fit in the track in the cracks between our necessary movements, but these guys really were interested. Now, my line of thinking was, well, they're soldiers. They've already volunteered. They know why they're here. Um, the history is going to be just almost redundant to these fellows. But they haven't heard the stories either, not in the detail that our people can, can relate the stories. They haven't heard the passion in Virginia Shooter or Pete Henry or some of our other instructors who can get up there and make you feel what was going on on April 19th. And they, I mean, guys were leaning forward in their sleep, in their seats, you know, telling each other to hush up so they could hear better. And at one point, we'd come back from a day of training, dropped our gear at the, at the billets, and we're heading to the mess hall, and we had guys call us over saying, come on, you need to finish that story. Y'all never did finish what you had started telling us today. <laughs> So we ended up standing around outside with them for quite a while that evening, talking about the history. Well, give us a give us a list. Give us a list of the uh, of the instructors who were there. Okay, I'm going to do this by memory, so forgive me if I leave anyone out. But uh, we had uh, myself, Virginia Shooter, uh, master instructor from Virginia. Uh, we had Flathead from Georgia. We had Old Glory and Cully Cat and Oshoot from Wisconsin. 
We had Stymie uh, from uh, North Carolina. From Texas. We can't. Well, from Texas, I think he's Texas living originally. in Texas originally, isn't he? Texas originally. Yeah. Okay, all right. North you got to get that in, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from from Texas, um, we had Bama and former USMC uh, from Alabama. Uh, I'm not out of fingers yet. Uh, oh, of course, Pete Henry from Florida. Um, Sam uh, from Sam D from New Mexico. We had uh, Dwayne from South Carolina. Um, you oh, mentioned uh, 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 Cannon Man. Oh, he wasn't. Cannon I know Man. he wasn't an instructor, but he was. Uh, he did all the uh, uh, all the uh, the running around and providing quarters and stuff for you guys. Yes, I, I can't 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 say enough about Cannon Man. Even though he was not there on the line with us teaching, he was willing to be if he was needed. Um, but the highest best use for the mission for him was as our local boots on the ground to run pick people up from the airport and take care of all the day-to-day housekeeping chores that have to be done. Right. Uh, this would have been much more difficult without someone like Cannon Man available uh, to call up and get something done. We also had Sergeant Cap, who actually was stationed at Fort Stewart and just got out of the Army and uh, lives in Georgia. Um, we had... Uh, Haven. Cannot remember where he is from. Uh, he is the uh, uh, not. Uh, he's Ohio. No, I believe he's either he's the uh, state coordinator for Ohio. I believe. No, uh, I'm kidding. Isn't it heartwarming that the program's gotten so large that we <laughs> yeah. don't all know each other anymore? <laughs> yeah. Well, I told the guys this weekend at the Austin Rifle Club. I said, you know. I said it was only a few years ago that I knew everybody in the program. And I'm not talking about just the instructors. I knew all of the shooters. I knew all of the people across the nation, all the people that had gone to the events and stuff. I knew almost every one of them. And now there are shoot bosses that, that I'll see them listed in green on the forum. I've never heard of them before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it's well, we good, had, uh, good and bad. Well, we had a total of 15 people step up to the plate for this. And we averaged about 10 people uh, on the firing line each day. Uh, had some guys, you know, some, these are volunteers. They're taking time off from work. So I uh, had a couple guys have to leave early, a couple of guys who came in midweek. But uh, we were averaging about 10 coaches and instructors on the firing line. Um, it, uh, with anywhere from about 74 up to 92 shooters per day, that's actually not a tremendously bad ratio. I would well, it sounds have like preferred it. to have more people, but you know, you work with what you can get on short notice. That's right. And once again, like you said, it was short notice, and we're an all-volunteer organization. And every one of us, uh, we're we're no different than any of the any other Americans. We all have jobs, wives, kids. We all have, uh, you know, birthdays and funerals we have to go to and, and on and on and on. And our guys did. They just, they, up, they uprooted themselves uh, and they jumped at a chance to teach their fellow Americans, especially soldiers getting ready to deploy. Uh, they gave up their time. And many times uh, our instructors give up their vacation time, time that they could go and, 
uh, and who knows what, I don't know, go to Disneyland. But they give up their time for events like this. And uh, to me, that's just, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, that's that's a good point. And, and Flathead clued me in uh, along about Tuesday that he had heard some of the soldiers talking uh, in the bleachers one morning before we got going. And they were talking amongst themselves about how much money we were making on this exercise. So I, they thought that we were paid professional trainers coming out to do this. So I made it a point from then on to let them know in the mornings you know, that, we're, that we're volunteers. Yeah, not, not only, only are we not being paid for this, but the majority of us uh, usually are paying our own way to a lot of the places. Uh, the program does pay for... Uh, Usually, like hotels and airfare, etc. But a lot of people, a lot of people donate that. They take it upon themselves uh, to pay for their way to a location. They pay for their own, uh, their food, etc. None of us get paid in money by the, for this. We get paid uh, in the understanding that we're helping to better uh, our fellow Americans. And in this particular event. RWVA headquarters specified that reimbursement would not be available for instructor expenses. So everyone who was there was sacrificing. And it was it was our pleasure and our honor to do so. I mean, we're asking these men and women to go halfway around the world on our behalf. So a few days vacation, you know, a few hundred bucks for airfare or travel arrangements. Uh, when you put that in the balance, it's not such a big deal. And i got to tell you, whenever I was driving back up, when it was all over and I was driving back to my home, I was scheming, trying to find some way that I could go over there with him <laughs> because I wanted to go and help out. <laughs> there's some way. I know that there's a way I can do it. Let me tell you, you know, I know, I know in my heart that not only was this a good thing, but I can guarantee you this. It's going to make the difference. It's going to make a difference. These men and women are getting put in harm's way. And while they're in harm's way, they're going to be asked to, uh, they're going to, be asked to do certain things for their nation and for each other in order to help preserve their lives and the lives of their comrades. And knowing how to make the shot when it counts is a big thing. I'm telling you, it's a big thing. And uh, I get guys from uh, from Fort Hood that come. And a lot of them, uh, you know, some of them uh, uh, are not inf- infantrymen. And uh, they say, well, we want to come shoot the rifle even though, uh, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're not grunts, we're not infantrymen, we're, uh, uh, you know, uh, clerks or combat or in intelligence. And the thing is, is in a situation like in Afghanistan or in, in Iraq, there's no real front line. So I don't care who you are, you better know how to uh, how to use your uh, rifle. Because when it when it counts, when making the shot counts, there's no other uh, substitute for making the shot. So I, I think this is uh, a very worthwhile way to use uh, to use the, the time and stuff from the, the men who are making the sacrifice in their time. Well, this, uh, the, the master gunner briefed me on some details about the tactical situation they're expected to face. And 
he he asked me not to uh, not to talk about it in the public forum, but essentially what it boils down to is yes, you're exactly right. It's important. Uh, I I can't praise the chain of command enough for recognizing ahead of time that they needed to do this, rather than having it be a surprise when they're halfway around the world and then trying to fix it. Um, and also the thing is the battalion master gunner he was adamant that when you talk to the soldiers, you do not tell them that in this tactical situation, marksmanship is important. He said they have got to get the idea that marksmanship always matters, whether it's CQB or whether it's assault rifle marksmanship or designated rifle or sniping. He said they've got to get that idea because because otherwise they'll wind up thinking, okay, I'm going to be kicking down doors and engaging in CQB, and I don't need to worry about the fundamentals. But the fundamentals are important everywhere. <coughs> it, it, it doesn't That's matter. It. I think I used the analogy on one of my morning talks about how do you win a football game? You have to be able to block and tackle. Those are fundamentals. If you cannot do those two things, you're not going to win. Now, being able to do those two things doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, but it allows you a firm foundation upon which you can build your playbook. And your playbook is going to include close quarters battle, designated marksman, and sniper. But you've got to have the fundamentals down because that undergirds everything. That's exactly right. Uh, Ron, I want to thank you. Uh, for taking the time to uh, to come on here and speak about the the Fort Stewart event, and I want to tell everybody that this isn't the only time we're going to do it. We're going to, uh, uh, as I said earlier, we, there are several more segments that we would like to get in, including getting some of the other folks on. So, how about uh, if you can make some time next Tuesday uh, again, Ron, for the uh, to do another segment of this? Then uh, we'd love to have you back on. You think you can do that? Oh, sure, no problem. And let's, and, then, and let's make sure we get some of the other instructors who are there. Okay, the I asked Sam D. I can't get my chat program to open once again, so I can't. Uh, I know that Sam is probably uh, is on there, but I asked him to uh, make sure that we get uh, some more folks on, uh, and uh, we'll get them all rounded up for this next Tuesday. Then uh, we'll do another segment of it and, uh, and get uh, – Let's see, we've got the audio for your opening of the uh, of the event, and then we've got the, the audio for the closing, and then we've got uh, Lieutenant uh, Singletary's AAR on it, and uh, we'd like to get to all of those. So if you'll, come, if you'll come this next Tuesday, we'll get another section of it on. Okay. And uh, once again, thank you, not just for tonight, but for uh, the Fort Stewart job. And for the job that you do every day, I think I I saw in your note that you did a uh, you had an event this last weekend also, right? Yes, this past weekend, Tacoma, Georgia. Right. And a wonderful group of apple seeders. Well, thank you for doing what you do, uh, day by day, week by week, month by month for the program. Uh, Ron was my instructor when I went to the uh, Rothman Boot Camp in Ramsar, North Carolina, several years ago, and. Uh, I always joke about him. I've got my favorite story that I tell about Ron, which was uh, how <clears throat> we knew it was going to be rough because uh, Ron showed up 
there. He was our instructor, and uh, he had a one of those Camelback water systems on. And in his pocket, he had a one of those cans of Folgers coffee crystals. And uh, he was uh, so he had all the water he needed for the event, and he had some Folgers coffee crystals. And I think that he was kind of like using them like snuff. And uh, and uh, he ran us like dogs. And uh, we would be there from, I think, about 7.30 in the morning until 6. And then, oh, let's see, we had a one-hour break, and then we went from 7 to 9 uh, in the classroom. And uh, those were some long days and nights. But you know what? I learned a huge amount uh, from uh, from Santa Martha, from JB. Now, I didn't learn anything from, uh, from D.A. Shooter in the classrooms because... Uh, because Doug took that opportunity to catch a few winks on us, uh, and and that nobody woke him up. Nobody gave him a hard time uh, in the classroom portion because uh, he had uh, 45 years of competitive shooting. So so nobody made him stay awake during the classroom portion. But he was there nonetheless. But uh, every one of those guys, uh, uh, I mean, I, I I'm still here. It is several years later, Ron. I'm still modeling myself after you. So, I want to thank you for that. Oh, it was my honor. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm, and I'm going to bring on Jim Tomes. Oh, e- I think that he may have. Uh, I think he may have. Uh, he may have hung up. Or been cut off, but uh, anyway, we'd like for Jim to to call back in. Man, that was some great timing. Anyway, Jim Tomes from the uh, Indiana Second Amendment Patriots is going to come on the air with us, and he's going to talk about the uh, uh, Second Amendment Patriots in Indiana, what they're doing, uh, what they're trying to get accomplished there, and uh, and how that uh, the Second Amendment Patriots organization can be set up in uh, in every state. So, Ron, I'll see you again this coming uh, Tuesday. And uh, thank you very much. God bless you and your family, Ron. All right. Have a good evening. You too. All right. Mr. Tones, welcome to the show. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing just great. For all you guys uh, listening... This is Mr. Jim Tomes from the uh, Second Amendment Patriots in Indiana. He is a uh, he's been in Appleseed as long as I have. Matter of fact, he was at uh, one of the first ones, and I believe uh, it's still the largest Appleseed event to date, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We had about 156 people there that weekend. That's right. I mean, it was a huge uh, Appleseed, and uh, and thanks in no small part your organization, the Second Amendment Patriots, because uh, they all came out in force. Tell, uh, give us a little, uh, give us a rundown on what the Second Amendment Patriots are doing in Indiana right now. Well, uh, first off, we are a grassroots group, and, and we, we formed this thing back in 1999, January of 1999, and this came out of the result of the uh, Clinton era, when it was really working gun owners over every single night. The media was beating up on gun owners, and in particular styles of firearms, and 
the assault weapon ban was on the horizon coming our way, and so we formed up and we decided we were going to take a stand against all this nonsense and we were going to protect gun rights and and uh, not just sit back and defend them but promote them. And so here in Indiana, it's just exactly what we do. And uh, uh, over the years, we've um, we have pushed for pro-gun legislation. We have um, been instrumental in getting pro-gun legislation passed into law. In fact, uh, I've had the pleasure of writing some of the pro-gun bills. In fact, our group is responsible for the lifetime handgun license, which is the only such license in the nation. And we've also uh, repealed gun laws and was instrumental in that. And uh, so we are pretty active, and and we just uh, like I say we're we're not going to sit back and just talk something to death. The, the Second Amendment Patriots is a group of people that just uh, puts it to action. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, the uh, the handgun license there is second only uh, to the uh, to the one in New Hampshire, which doesn't require one. I mean, uh, well, I think that's Vermont. I mean, Vermont. I mean. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that doesn't require one because, uh, I mean, that is the only state. You guys are the only state that does that, and uh, <clears throat> and that shows a really uh, large commitment by the folks getting that done. How uh, how did the Second Amendment Patriots get started? Well, we we started like I said on a, it was a January morning. It was a Sunday. We met at one of the local gun shops. There was about. I think I summoned about seven guys together, and we wanted to do something. We didn't know what. I mean, we never. Uh, I mean, up until then, I was um, a uh, EVC uh, election volunteer coordinator for the NRA, and we was involved in. My wife and I was involved in uh, helping pro-gun politicians run for office and get elected. But uh, our, we just wanted to get some folks together where we could uh, take more of a hands-on uh, participation in. Uh, in battling the anti-gun movement from from that era, and so uh, we uh, we started out pretty simple enough. Uh, one of the guys that that morning suggested that maybe we would get into one of the local parades and put a float in the parade and and uh, do something like that. Which uh, I wasn't sure where that was going to go to, but we did. <laughs> we did put we put uh, we put together a little float, and I, I had a homemade trailer, and, and we had some uh, folks put together some posters. The NRA sent us some banners and. We dressed it up with flags, red, white, and blue, and um, we had the wives show up and the kids, and and we hitched behind a red pickup truck, and it looked pretty good for a little bitty homemade outfit. And uh, this was a major parade in Evansville, Indiana. Um, and it was curious because that day it was cloudy, and there was a thunderclap, and the next thing you know, they canceled the parade. And so here we were, all ready to go, and um, we decided, well, you know what, we're going to have the parade anyway. So we went, we drove the parade route. Now, there was people along the parade route that did not know the parade was canceled. And they looked down the street, and here come this one single lone float. <laughs> and they were asking, where's the rest of them? We told them, this is it. And as we went by, they was cheering at us and thumbs up and, and yelling out, yay, gun owners, and things like that. And and it rent, went over real well, and it, and it encouraged us because, as I said, you have to understand the, the atmosphere at that time. But here was an opportunity for people on the sidewalk to look at the faces of gun owners. And um, contrary to what the media had been doing for every single night, they could see the friendly faces of this, these families that uh, enjoyed the sports of firearms. And uh, it went over good. And as, 
As time and you went were the on, guy, you were the only guys that uh, rented out the uh, the weather and ran your float down the road. Yeah, we were the only float. And the NRA done a feature story with uh, some photographs of our uh, float in that issue of uh, that September issue in 1999, the Rifleman and the Hunter. So it was kind of nice. We got a little little publicity out of that, and uh, and so we escalated from that. We wound up. Uh, Eventually getting a semi-tractor trailer, flatbed, and, and we made some pretty nice floats. And uh, like I said, it was an opportunity to to get in the public's eye directly rather than having somebody uh, moderate between gun owners and the general public as they do with the newscasters. They were, the people were actually being able to see the faces of those people who enjoy the sport of arms. So that's what we and then ultimately we decided to become more politically we got involved in helping more candidates and then um, from there we uh, we took on some uh, some actually uh, some forces that was uh, determined to restrict uh, our gun rights and um, one of the first things we encountered was uh, at that time in 2000 when uh, the Indiana State Police had sent announcements to they had sent letters and notices to all gun owners in, or gun dealers, I should say, FFL dealers in Indiana, that they were no longer going to uh, conduct background checks on weekends and holidays. Now, this was uh, in 2000, and at that time, to do a transfer, the dealer would have to not only call in the next check, but he also had to clear the transfer through the Indiana State Police. So by virtue of that uh, announcement that they weren't going to take those calls on weekends and holidays, it was pretty much going to shut down gun shows. Ah. Uh. Well, Okay, so, I see now. Yeah. So uh, it just so happened that it was a Friday night. I went by that same gun shop where we started at, and he had his letter. And it was very an intimidating, bold-faced uh, written letter that they were going to do this. So it just so happened that uh, we had already then established monthly meetings, and that following day, the Saturday, that following night, we had our next Patriot meeting, and I instructed everybody come Monday morning to call the governor's office and and let them know that this is not going to be an option. And so uh, we lit the phone lines up, so much so that the state police called my house. The I got one call from the um, the uh, firearms uh, director of the state police to tell me that they were, you know, they were going to try to come up with a resolution. And um, and then the next call I got was from the superintendent, and they were asking for me to call off the dogs. They said that they was going to rescind that decision. <laughs> And I said, uh, well, why did you call me? I didn't call your offices. They said, I know, but everybody's calling the governor's office, and now they divert the calls to our office, and they've jammed our lines up. So he asked me if I would call our gun dealers in our area and notify them that he was going to make this change back. I asked him, I said, I'll tell you what, how about you send a notices to all of them like you did initially and tell them what you told me? And, and they did. And I've got copies of both letters, the first letter, and I got a copy of the second letter that went back to all the dealers to it was in italicized lettering, very nice. We are pleased to announce. So it showed the ability that people have when we work together as a unit, when people unite, the power they have in their voices by taking just a small amount of action. But a small amount of action from a whole lot of people has a great deal of influence. And we were able to, uh, and this, this took place in a matter of about four days, we stifled that. Well, listen, and, um, was so, this, uh, I, it's probably sounds like a dumb question, but I've seen dumb things happen before. And uh, I guess my question is, do you know if this was indeed uh, purposely done 
to uh, shut down the gun shows, or was it just, uh, uh, as I've seen many times before, was it just uh, bad planning? Well, Michael, they said when when I talked with them, when the when the people from the firearms division and superintendent called, they told me that they were understaffed. They had nobody there on weekends that would take those calls that they could that would man the phones. And I told them, I said, you know, do you realize how many people in Indiana are retired that would be happy to take a weekend job like that and answer them calls? And they said, well, you know, quite frankly, we never even thought along those lines. But whatever their intention was, whether it was uh, um, honorable or not. Uh, nevertheless, our actions and swiftly uh, was able to uh, push back uh, this maneuver, however they want to call it, that would have uh, hampered uh, gun shows in Indiana. And then, um, then the following year, we want, I want to show folks another example of what we could do if we worked together. <clears throat> and so, therefore, we singled out a law that had been on the books for 30-some years, about 37 years to see if we could repeal it. It was, an, it was a gun law that prevented people from having any loaded, ve- uh, loaded firearms on any off-road vehicles, a snowmobile, a trail bike, four-wheeler, farm tractor, lawnmower. Even if you was on your own property, Indiana law would not allow you to have a loaded firearm. And for people that have uh, a handgun license and they're out in the woods, they're out in stripper pits, they want to have their firearm with them, I mean, that, that was a, a, a severe restriction. And I recall when I notified some of our state senators about that I wanted this uh, bill introduced, they weren't even aware of it. And I know our trips to the state house to testify before the committee hearings on this, um, all of those senators that were on those committees were not aware that there was such a law like that. Uh, the state police was, I shouldn't say the state police, the Department of Natural Resources was there to fight us on this. I don't think they were too happy that we were trying to strip one of their precious gun laws off the books. But nevertheless, uh, after weeks and months of of, test, of our trips up there to testify, the phone calls that we followed up with our, had our people in our group follow up with phone calls to their particular legislators, we got that law repealed. So these things can be done, Michael, but they won't get done by laying on the couch. They won't get by done by thinking, well, somebody else is going to fight for my gun rights. Somebody else will attend that meeting. Somebody else will make that phone call or write that postcard. We are the front line. Gun owners, for all your audience out there, <clears throat> I want to impress upon you guys. You are the front line. You are the first responders, not some big organization that may be located in some part of the country. Individuals are responsible for their own uh, protection of their benefits and their freedoms and their liberties in this country. And so um, over the years, we've been able to develop that principle and that policy, and I've been able I've had a great deal of success with our group to showcase to people the things that we can accomplish. Well, you know, that is the, that's the main uh, point of my sphere when I talk to the apple seeders. And uh, it's not just about uh, gun rights. It's about all rights. But I tell them right off the bat, <clears throat> that that the government is not your senator, it's not your congressman, it's not your president, it's none of the organizations with alphabet initials, that the government is standing right here with me on the firing line, at least a small portion of it, that they are, they are those people named in that document, we the people of these United States, and that the responsibility for safeguarding their rights and their liberties, their freedoms, 
rests squarely on their shoulders, that if they think that their senators and their congressmen, if they're delegating that authority to them to look out for their rights, then they're making a big mistake. If they think that their mother or their father or their sons or their daughters or their, their doctor or their mailman or their lawyer is going to be watching out for their rights, their freedoms and their liberties, then they're making a huge mistake. They're taking a huge gamble on waking up in the morning without those freedoms, without those liberties, that the responsibility for safeguarding your rights, the responsibility for making sure that uh, your needs, your wishes are fulfilled by your representative rest squarely on your shoulders, that if you see something wrong, it's your job to call it. If you see something that's, uh, that's not right, it's your job to make a stink about it. That if you sit back and you think that somebody else is going to uh, take over for you, somebody, surely somebody else is going to make sure that this doesn't happen, then guess what? It's going to happen. <clears throat> you know, whenever the, uh, when McCain-Feingold came through, I'm sure that's exactly what the people thought then. They said, surely this is never going to pass, so we're not even going to worry about it. And guess what? Bang! There we are with uh, an amendment that infringes, uh, I'm telling you, the, the right to, to free speech was not written so that you could burn a cross or burn the flag or, uh, or curse uh, the Lord, etc. Right. It, you know, it was written to protect political speech. That's the well, whole reason for it, because people were arrested, put in prison, and even hanged for talking about their leaders back then. So that's why we have it. Well, going back to what you said a while ago, um, you know, citizens have become, become so accustomed and, and, and have become acclimated to, the, to thinking that, and the media does a good job of, of this uh, indoctrination, <clears throat> that government will always take care of them. Here's the deal. Um, we are the employee, the employer. We are the employer, and government is the employee. And we not only have a responsibility to safeguard our freedoms and liberties, but we have an obligation. And it's the duty of everyone in this country to see to it that we, with, with much jealousy, protect and, and defend those, those freedoms. Now, today happens to be an anniversary of the Bill of Rights, December 15th. In 1791, those Bill of Rights was ratified in this country. Most people don't even know that day exists. It's never on any calendars anymore outside of a VFW calendar. And so, we, you know, we have inherited a, a monumental piece of legislation from those many years back that guarantees us these liberties. There's not another country on this planet that has a Bill of Rights. Oh, so you have France and you got Canada, but their Bill of Rights is about as solid as a glass of skim milk. What we have is, is second to none. But people have got to be sure that they protect that from a government that would be willing to take it away if they're allowed to do so. Now, we've had, we've had these chipping away. I mean, the 1968 Gun Control Act and, and, and uh, laws that have come by and have infringed upon that right to keep and bear arms. Uh, it's going to be absolutely uh, vital that citizens begin to wake up and see what has happened and how much they've lost and try to regain it. When I talk about the Bill of Rights Day, uh, last Sunday our group, the Second Amendment Patriots, hosted a Bill of Rights Day in uh, one of the VFW posts that uh, I happen to be the commander of, 
and it was a real nice affair. We had great school kids there, about 30 young uh, second, third, and fourth grade school kids that sang some patriotic songs. We had uh, clergy there that that gives their uh, presentations on politics. It was such a refreshing experience to hear clergy talking about politics and government uh, just like it was 200 years ago, but like churches aren't allowed to speak on nowadays because they've got their tax-exempt status, and they've, by virtue of that, then they have been muffled by big brother government. But it was a nice affair. We brought we brought attention to everybody the importance of the Bill of Rights, which has been lost. I mean, it, it's just simply been lost. So, um, it, but we we've got to be active. We've got to be alert. We've got to be keenly aware at all times what's at our feet. And our group, and and I tell your your listeners that uh, they can go to our website at secondamendmentpatriots.org. That's with the digit two, secondamendmentpatriots.org, and they can read a little bit about us. But it's it's simply a group of people. We don't charge dues. We don't have uh, elected positions. Everybody has equal voice. We have monthly meetings. Our meetings start off with a prayer, a pledge of allegiance. Then we have a little food, and then we get down to business. And it's it's a it's a nice social affair where we have a whole lot of folks that can come together and express ideas and and share information and work as a unit. And now we have spread this little group from the southern part of Indiana all the way across to the northern end of the state. And those fires, as Sam Adams once said, it does not require a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires in people's minds. And that's what we've been doing for 11 years now. Yeah, and... You and I talked the other day on the phone about this, and uh, I wanted to get it out there uh, to the rest of the folks that are listening, and that is that uh, you indicated to me that you'd be willing to help out with uh, with any of the other folks in any of the other states on uh, on putting together a Second Amendment Patriots organization in their neck of the woods. Right. And they can contact me through our website. If they go to the website... They can um, they can email me through that site and I'd be happy to uh, to assist them. Okay, I'm just I'm putting, your, uh, I'm putting your email I mean your website up here. Let me make sure that this is right. I copied it right off there. It's uh, www.secondamendmentpatriots.org, and then on no, on this one it has a backslash question something equals node one. Is that your? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and open this up and check and make sure. But I believe that's your, uh, yeah, that's your home page, mm-hmm. uh, org with the mission statement right there. Mm-hmm. So I put that up on the in the chat there. Uh, and if you guys want to uh, contact Mr. Tomes about uh, starting a uh, 2A Patriots in your state, then uh, go to the go to the website that I put here on the on the chat room. Or if you're just listening, it's www.com. To nd amendment patriots dot org, and that'll take you to his website. And uh, I am going to ratchet the uh, ante up just a little bit, as I told you, Michael. I am uh, I'm going to run for state senate here. I am running for state senate here in Indiana in District 49, and I do have a website on that. If the folks want to look at that, it's www.jimtoms. Uh, Dot com. That's J-I-M-T-O-M-E-S dot com. And they can go in there. They can, i got a picture of myself, and they can read some of the issues that I stand for, and uh, they can learn a little bit about 
what kind of person I am, but um, you know, we sometimes have legislators that maybe we can train them to be more cognizant of the Constitution and the duties of their job and what it's what it should be. But I think it would be nice to have a patriot and a, just an American citizen, an average person, uh, who understands already the limits the Constitution imposes on elected office to run for office. And that, therefore, I, uh, I'm running for this uh, Senate seat. I would hope I can get support. And um, even for folks who maybe not live in Indiana, understand that if we, if we can help anybody who who appreciates those precious documents and what they are, if we can help them get in any office, any office at any level, that is stacking the deck in our favor for all of us. Oh, that's right. That's exactly right. And that's one of the one of the things that we're trying to do with the with the Appleseed program. Of course, that we're looking into the future, and we're hoping that in just a few short years, uh, in just the immediate couple of years, that we'll end up with some uh, Appleseed senators and congressmen, and then uh, in the not too distant future with an Appleseed president and. Uh, that's one of the things that we're that we're hoping to do. And, uh, it can be done. It can be done. I, I put your uh, I put your website up here mm-hmm. on the chat room, and I'll tell everybody too that uh, of course, while Appleseed, well, the project of course is a uh, not for profit, and we're uh, we can't uh, we can't back anybody. And uh, let me say too that I'll offer I'll offer uh, uh, Mr. Tomes. Uh, his opponent, opponent, equal time on the radio show. If he wants to, uh, if he wants to call in and uh, and talk about how much he likes to shoot and how much uh, he wishes to protect our Second Amendment rights, I'll be glad to take his calls too and uh, have him on the show. Uh, and uh, what we want to do is we just want to get uh, everybody. Uh, we're, Appleseed, I'll tell you that, that uh, at Appleseed, one of the things that I tell everybody is that we're never going to tell you who to vote for. Okay, we're going to uh, we're going to tell you how to how to become the master of your rifle, and then we're going to tell you that it's your responsibility to vote. Now you vote for whoever your heart tells you to vote for. Okay, we're not going to tell you who to vote for, but we will tell you that you have an absolute responsibility, a sacred obligation to vote. Uh, I was listening to the turnouts for several of the. Uh, elections in the last week. We're talking about, even in some uh, contested races, 17%. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I sure would hate to think that uh, my liberties, my rights, and my freedoms are dependent uh, on just a tiny portion of the population. Uh, So it's your sacred obligation, your sacred duty to get out there and vote. And, you know, um, it's also... You're absolutely right, Michael, and and that's why all of us, those of you who are listening to the program and and, and folks across the country, is going to have to realize that, as I said before, we cannot sit back and hope that somebody else will carry the load. We're going to have to do it. You know, remember the words that Mark Twain once said, that uh, uh, in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man, and scorned and feared and hated. But when his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. Well, all the good folks out here that's working hard, who are not timid, who are not ashamed, are not afraid to stand up for what's right and speak their mind, those people will find 
folks that will follow along then too. If they see someone that has that kind of courage, then they too, it may instill courage in them too to step forward. And our numbers continue to grow like that. And uh, and that's what we have to we have to continue to strive to accomplish. And it can be done. It can be done. The things that our little group has accomplished over these 11 years is phenomenal. We've done it without any money. We, we're, we're a, a bare-bones grassroots group, but it's dedicated citizens who are not troublemakers. They would love to be left alone and just live their life. Of course, liberals don't do that. Liberals can't leave people like us alone. And so they'll try to push forth bills and laws and regulations and restrictions that just chisel away at what we hold dear to our hearts. And we're not going to step back and let that happen. We're against the wall now anyway, so there's only one place to go, and that's forward. And that's, that's what we've right. been doing. That's right. And the and another thing that I tell the uh, the guys at, uh, at the events and stuff is that they uh, they have a it's their obligation to talk to their senators and congressmen and let them know what their needs and desires or wishes are because um, in some cases they don't know the senators and congressmen don't know and if they don't know then they certainly can't do what you need them to do so you have to you have to let them know and then you tell them that uh, these are the things that I need from you and. If you're not willing to to do these things, then what I have left is my decision to vote you to do my best to vote you out of office. And then once you make uh, that statement, then you have to do it. And by that I mean, if you tell somebody you're going to vote them out of office, then the next time the uh, uh, the voting stations are open, you go in there and you vote no. Uh, you don't just you don't make uh, empty. Uh, empty threats or empty promises. If you decide that you want them out, then you go and you vote them out. That's, and that's you, and the try, way it works. And you, you follow up on it. And, and like you said, you give them fair warning. Uh, a lot of folks don't believe this, but, you know, we've had at our meetings, we have a lot of uh, legislators that are, that are on my email list. And, and by the way, anybody who goes to our website and wants to add their stuff to my email list can click on on the left side of the page where it says email list, they can click on that and simply add themselves to it, and they go at every letter that I send out. But I've had legislators come to our meetings before to tell us that rarely will they ever get a phone call or a letter on any issue. This is state level. And um, so we've, we have utilized that tool, which I encourage everybody listening to take advantage of it. Uh, I've asked when my trips to the state house, I've, I've asked those guys, I said, what do you all do when you get letters or postcards and they said well you mean the ones that uh, are pre-printed and you just put your name on it and I said well those how about those what do you do with them and they said well actually it doesn't take much effort to put your name on something that somebody else has written we usually probably trash can them I said well what about handwritten postcards they said now you're asking something else now yeah we read those because somebody took the time to sit down so I want your listeners to understand that it doesn't cost but a few cents to buy a postcard and you don't need to write you don't need to write a, uh, a biography on it or a or a, a novel, just a, a sentence or two about that issue, concise, to the point. Uh, you write it in a, a respectable manner, and you put your name and your address and your phone number on there legibly so they can see who it came from, and you send that. Now, what we do in our meetings, we'll gather, we will buy maybe uh, 50 to 75 or 100 postcards. Our meetings usually have over 100 people at them. We pass them out, and everybody will, in their own words, in their own handwriting, 
fill it out according to whatever the issue might be, if we're trying to pass a pro-gun law or repeal one or whatever the, what we're dealing with. We'll gather those things up, and we mail those. The impact it has on a legislator, when he comes in to work the next morning that those things arrive in a mailbag, and he's got 100 or 150 postcards from a whole lot of different people, he realizes he's on the radar screen, and he didn't know why. But for some reason, he got a bunch of postcards. People are watching to see what he does. Now, that has an impact on what he's going to do. Yeah, and I tell the folks, too, I said, you know, apathy is a major disease that uh, that we face as Americans right now. They've become a nation uh, of apathetic uh, heads-in-the-sand ostriches. But a lot of people think that... Uh, why would I call my senator? Why would I call my congressman? He's not going to listen to me. He's not going to do anything. Plus, I'm just one guy. Well, listen, you are one guy in your mind, but you're not one person when you call in to your senators or your representatives. I've talked to them several times about this very thing, and uh, the answer I get back in, in most cases is that there's actually, uh, I guess, algorithms and software designed specifically to... Uh, uh, to adjust, to uh, to take care of this because they know that only a certain percentage of people are going to call in uh, to their state representatives, to their national representatives, are going to call in, take the time to sit down, pick up the phone, find the number in that big jumble of uh, uh, of information, find the number for their senators, track it down, and then call in <coughs> to make their voices heard. They know that say, uh, out of all those folks, that if one person calls in, that person actually represents, uh, say, a 1,000, maybe sure, 10,000 yeah, 10, yeah. of the folks out there. So if he gets, uh, if he gets 200 calls on an issue, then uh, that can be translated into uh, 200,000 uh, votes, 200,000 people's opinions. That's so right. your one call might actually represent 5,000 or 10,000 people. So and if you don't can get, put it down. That's right. And if you can get four or five of your friends together, okay, a Saturday morning you meet at a coffee shop, you got your buddies there, you, you, you call them all the night before and say, hey, I want you to meet me down here at the coffee shop in the morning. Bring your cell phones, okay? We've got these G-Wiz gizmos now that you can do all this stuff with, okay? So they bring their phones with them. And you got five or six of your friends there with you, and you've got the phone number to your particular state legislator. Most of these state legislatures are free, toll-free numbers, but even the federal number, it's, you can call that, Okay. So you guys place your calls. You've got four or five or six people that place that phone calls. You have a volley of phone calls that go into that office. Now, it has a major effect on getting the attention of that legislator because, as I said before, they don't get that, especially state level, they don't get that many calls on issues. And that's where our battleground's at. I know the federal government is a monster. It, they make a lot of decisions that impact all of our lives. I believe... I think that animal is so far off the chart, I don't know if we can get it back. I hope we can. We're not going to give up. But I, I do impress upon everybody that's hearing this. Your battlegrounds, believe me, is at your state and local levels. That's where it's at, folks. That's the, Those people at your state level and your local level, these people may live in your neighborhood. There's somebody you're going to run into at the grocery store at a ball game. It's somebody that you can actually see. They will hold a town hall meeting where you can actually be in the same room with them. Now, a federal legislator, that's a tough call. It's hard to get one of those guys to meet with people. They're, they're pretty much gun-shy about meeting folks because, you know, they're 
their attitudes and, and their performance is a reason enough that they don't want to be around people. But your state folks, you can. And so use that. Take advantage of that opportunity. That's, that's, our, that's our battleground. Well, you've got the – you're right. The, as a, a rifleman, as, a, as an activist, the, the first thing you should do is you should be looking immediately you know, within the first 50 feet of you, and then 100 right. feet, and then 200 feet. And you work out from there, just like you would if you were setting up a, uh, you know, a, a shooting chart, uh, you know, for uh, for your position. But at the same time, now you're not going to talk to your your federal, the uh, your uh, national representatives, your congressman or your senator. You're not going to talk to them when you call anyway. And to be honest, you don't need to. You don't need to talk to them. What you need to do is make sure that you're on a on a first name basis with their staff, like you said, when you call in, they have to speak to you. They have to answer the phone. They have to talk to you. <clears throat> and they have to listen to you as long as you remain polite and, uh, and that you've, you've written down, say, before you call in, you've written down the things that you want to talk about so you don't start rambling in circles. Right. Collect your thoughts <clears throat> and, be, and be to the point. Uh, be firm. Be polite. Uh, but but stay on point, stay on on the uh, on your issue, uh, and and state your case. Right, and, and make uh, sure that make sure that they know that uh, you don't have a lot of push. You know, the, the, in the times that we're in now, unfortunately, it's almost as if uh, it's almost as if the people feel they have to go to their senators or their congressmen on bended knee, and that uh, and that's the way I think a lot of the senators and congressmen expect to be received is. Uh, is uh, knelt uh, before, and uh, and that's not the case. What you want to do is politely remind them that they serve at your leisure, and that if they want to keep now, maybe they don't agree with you. And I think that the the senators and congressmen, uh, the especially the career ones, are so out of touch with America that it's it's ridiculous. <clears throat> but you have the power. And the fact that they want to keep those cushy jobs, they want to keep those uh, those golf memberships, that lifetime health insurance, the lifetime pensions, etc. That's where your power comes from, and you need to remind them that uh, that you're perfectly willing to go uh, on certain issues. You're perfectly willing to go down and vote them out at the next election. That's where your power comes from. And and be informed, be informed, stay up alert to what's going on. And now there's a lot of information that we have at our disposal today with the, by virtue of the Internet, uh, and there's a whole rainbow of information out there. Now, some of it's fact and some of it's fiction. Uh, some of it's extreme on both ends, but in the middle there's a lot of truth. So I also want to encourage everybody to uh, be sure that you, you have your facts together when you – you know, there's things that circulate that just aren't true, so don't get alarmed about those. If something comes up, do a little research, and if it is if it is accurate, then uh, you take appropriate action on that. But, but there's, these are things that we can all do. They're simple things. We're not. It doesn't take bundles of money. It doesn't take any money. Just it just takes fortitude, determination, on our part to to do these things. And and um, for myself. Uh, I'm just a simple individual. I don't have degrees, a wall full of diplomas, or anything like that. I'm just uh, just an American citizen who recognizes uh, what's going on, and I'm alert to it. And we have now a lot of people on board with us through our group, and uh, we hope that 
opportunities like this here broadcast, and then other uh, opportunities we've had. I've been ha I've had the pleasure of being invited to some colleges to speak before student body about gun rights. And uh, every time a chance comes up, take advantage of that. Don't shy away from it. And we have every right to speak out. We deal on facts, and um, we deal on uh, what is truthful and uh, and logic and logic. The opposition they operate strictly on emotion on pure emotion and so we should never lose an engagement on debate we have we have uh, at our disposal the facts that that bear us out when we talk and so yeah, and listen, I, uh, I just you, want to pass that along to you Michael to or to, you, to the audience out there yeah what you said earlier is very important the uh, do a little bit of research okay before anybody sends me the the two or three hundredth copy of uh, Alert Alert HR forty five. Right. Do a little research on it. Just to, just just copy HR forty five, put it in the Google, and hit uh, enter, and that will give you the that will give you the real facts about what's going on there. Do some research. Mm -hmm. Don't just don't think that hitting forward on an email is is activism. Don't mistake that for for activism. Actually, find out what HR 45 is, and then uh, then talk to the people involved in it. Uh, and I've had a lot of people that have been embarrassed by doing just what you said, uh, like for example, the HR 45 or the Blair Holt Amendment. It was introduced by Bobby Rush. That bill has not gone anywhere since January when it was introduced. It's never had nothing but a first reading, no cool sponsors. But but that thing has circled the globe many many times, as well as HR 2099, which people have you know has or I shouldn't say HRSB, which there is no such thing as. Senate, Senate doesn't designate their their bills by uh, SB. It's a uh, S period and the number. But right. uh, th these things go on. But that's right. We we want to make sure that we uh, we have uh, we have our ducks in a row. And like I say, um, I just want to um, to tell everybody that uh, we we uh, we're on the right side of this thing, folks. And please just take the responsibility and the obligation that you have inherited by virtue of being a citizen of this country. Um, and, we're, and our battle is a lot less rigorous than what it was for the fellows back in 1776. We're not out there walking in snow with no shoes or socks and, <clears throat> and dodging bullets against an enormous army. But if we don't take this opportunity right now to do these things, which are a lot more simpler, then we may face a lot more difficult task ahead. So I won't uh, I won't keep keep uh, keep you any longer. I guess, Michael. I'm going Listen, to well, wait, wait. To... Do you need to take off? Because I got a whole stack of people that want to ask you some questions. Oh well, okay. All right. If you, okay. if you don't, if you have the time. Okay, go ahead. That's fine. All right. I uh, thought maybe I was taking up more of your time. I'd, no, fine. no, 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 no. I had I actually cleared away the uh, the last hour completely for you, and okay. uh, and I've had the folks in the chat in the chat room saying, uh, can we ask him some questions? Sure. And uh, so I'm going to start bringing the folks on to uh, bringing the folks on to give you to ask you those questions. All right, hold on just a second. Here we go. Okay. Uh, area code five eight zero. You're on there. Area code five eight zero two seven eight. Okay. Okay. Sometimes people uh, sometimes people call in and they. Uh, and they just want to listen. They don't want to talk. And okay. uh, a lot of times they'll have the they'll have. I see on my switchboard. I see a little hand that says, "Don't don't call on me." 
but usually I just ignore that. Uh, anyway, area code 712, you're on the air. Area code 712-249. Did I get another one? You on the, can you hear me? Okay. Let me give another one here. Area code 205, you're on the air. Area code two zero five seven nine zero. Okay, well I'm telling you, I know that there's some people calling in. Uh, okay. All right, hold on. Okay. Now, are you? Are you? You are. Yeah, I got your number. Okay. Area code eight one two two eight seven. You're on the air. Yeah, this is Techros. Hey, how are you doing, Tech? I'm doing pretty good. Well, listen, you can ask uh, Mr. Tomes yourself, or you can tell him thank you yourself. I do want to thank him. Uh, Mr. Tomes? Yes, sir. I'm from Bloomington, Indiana, so you sure you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. We thank you for your efforts. We're working on our end to work with the, uh, the HT and do what we can, I mean, legislatively, the the final solution is is through our laws, but we're doing everything we can. Uh, is, is there anything we can? Can we talk about this in the open, or is this something oh, you don't yes, really want to speak about? No, 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 no. That's that's quite all right. Yeah, we can put this out there on the table. Um, it's in reference to the uh, Herald Times from the Bloomington newspaper that uh, had threatened to post the names of all of the Indiana uh, licensed uh, people who have a handgun license in Indiana. They threatened to post those names, and um, and, and it's names about and addresses. Names and addresses, all their personal information, because uh, it's a, it's acquirable by anybody who wants to spend $32. Uh, uh, they can acquire that list. Now, what we're hoping to do in this coming session is uh, we've got some senators lined up that that intend to introduce some language, and we've got a, I got a state rep from up north up in the uh, Elkhart, Indiana area, that's going to try to um, interject an amendment into any pro-gun bill that she can, which would seal those records from public access because there's no merit, no benefit for anyone to acquire those names, that personal information, and to post that. So that's what we're doing. And uh, if you folks up in the Bloomington area, if you guys can contact your state rep and your state senators in your district and you and you impose upon them that you expect uh, a rec. That, that this will be rectified in this short session. We've got a short session coming up in Indiana, so uh, you demand that they take immediate action to uh, correct this uh, this little loophole here we have in this Freedom of Information Act here in Indiana. We've been we've been meeting every two weeks, groups of us, and mm -hmm. uh, we're we're working on from our end. Um, both the the state representatives have been spoken to and. Uh, there's been a uh, uh, a lot of uh, discussion between the uh, the advertisers and suppliers to the newspaper and the newspaper. Yeah, um, that's a good approach. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've been working on it from our end. I do appreciate and and any information you can pass down to us about actual bill numbers as soon as anything is available. It'll help us uh, be very specific with our second or third round of phone calls. I'll be happy to do that. 
Um, and uh, you should, uh, if you haven't seen it already, I'm I'm also a moderator over on the uh, Indiana Gun Owners uh, website. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of very active information and coordination going on there right now. Excellent, excellent. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for that. Well, you're quite welcome, and thanks for your call. Yeah, and guys, uh, uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that you guys keep in mind that uh, that there's no reason that you can't, in your state, do the exact same thing. And uh, Mr. Tome said he'd be glad to help you get a uh, Second Amendment Patriots organization started in your state. I'd like to see this. I'd like to see this organization franchised out across uh, the whole country. You know, 50 uh, chapters of it, all working with the uh, the same uh, the same goals, the same mission, so that uh, you know. One hammer is good, but 50 hammers can sure uh, can sure help start making a piece of work out of something. And, uh, sure would. Many hands make light work, you know, and it's it's easy. It's not difficult at all, and the result is impressive. I, I think people will be surprised at just we have a great deal of power at our hands. We just rarely use it, and so I think if folks would uh, would want to call us and or email me, and I'd be happy to share with them some some tips on how to do this and um, you know we keep it simple and uh, and effective and we let everybody understand that when we have our meetings every month that everyone has exact same voice in this even if it's somebody came to the first meeting for the first time they have every bit of voice in what we're doing as those who've been there from the very beginning and that that gives everybody a feeling that um, and I want them to understand this that you know they're an intricate part of this movement and so it, it, it's what I think this is what has brought this thing uh, from the days when we first started, where we had, if we had 20 people, we had a crowd, to uh, to the point now that we have anywhere from 120 to well over 200 people per meeting, and that we have state legislators who call and ask if they can come to our meetings and make presentations. I mean, over the past several months, uh, in fact, our Bill of Rights Day, we had our Secretary of Treasurer for our keynote speaker. So it's it's nice that the legislators have that kind of uh, of um, respect for our group and that we have that kind of a re- relationship and reputation with them. Right, and the fact that the fact that you got a big hammer in that one hand is uh, is very impressive. <laughs> and you know, you mentioned earlier and uh, this has always been a premise of Apple C2 is that we don't need we don't need 50 million or 100 million folks to become apple seeders to affect a change in the nation. We only need a tiny percentage of that. For if they were active, if you have active folks who are actively uh, uh, working, doing their responsibility, in order to affect change in a nation of 240, 300 million, you only need less than 1%. 500,000 apple seeders actively doing their job could push through huge programs, could uh, very, very easily help defend uh, our and, and safeguard our rights and liberties at times when they are endangered. It only takes uh, a small percentage. It doesn't take uh, half of the population of the United States to affect change. That's that's correct. And um, and uh, there is something I want to I want to make sure I get said here during this interview. And um, it's very important, Mike. It's very important for all the folks to to understand this. 
we're all struggling with a lot of issues. We struggle to maintain our freedoms, and and our country itself, our nation is is it's in um, the doldrums right now. We're we're all struggling. We're we're uh, we're faced with so many obstacles and so many things that bring worry to all of us. But I want to say this to everybody and understand this: that I encourage everyone to remember that this nation was founded on a Christian basis, and we have a supreme legislator. We have God Almighty. And I, I ask all of the people listening here to remember that if we pray and if we ask for God's guidance and, and protection and grace and wisdom in what we are trying to do, we cannot do it on mankind at all, but with God's help we can accomplish this. Uh, people may think, well, what does this have to do with gun rights? I'm telling you it has everything to do with it because we have those freedoms because of our, our religious <clears throat> belief. And remember this for everyone, because this is an election cycle coming up. There was a gentleman, Charles Finney, uh, a preacher from the 1800s, who uh, said that God will bless or curse this nation based on the co- according to the course that Christians takes in politics. Uh, these were people back then that understood that it to maintain uh, the freedoms and liberties that we have. We've got to understand where they originate from. And I have to say that. I must say that, and I appreciate you letting me speak on, on that, because it's it's absolutely vital if we well, want to accomplish our goals. I, I certainly agree with you. And, you know, just a uh, just a few weeks ago we had uh, uh, Mr. Aaron Zellman on from uh, uh, JPOF, mm-hmm. and, uh, and his message was basically the same thing. And he'd had a, uh, he had a... Uh, uh, there was a uh, recording, I guess, of a of a message from another man, and uh, and the title of that was, "If you're going to uh, live by God's laws or die by man's laws," and uh, you know we don't uh, we don't get involved with politics or religion at Appleseeds, but in my personal life, uh, I'm more than willing to tell you. That that this fight is going to be won or lost, uh, depending uh, on the uh, amount of faith that we have, and the and the way that we use that faith, and the way that we uh, and that the way that we the things that we ask for in prayer. That's that is where this battle is going to be won or lost. You're right, absolutely, hands down, and I understand that, and I learned that a long time back. And I won't. I will not forget. I will not abandon that principle. So, um, like I say, I know when we talk about we talk about the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. We talk about our Bill of Rights, the, the protections that they afford us. But uh, we, in order to, in order to succeed, and in order to be victorious, we are all going to have to be fully aware of what is, um, what what. We must do what is uh, what we are obligated to do, and what our duty is, and and we have to understand that um, uh, where this all originated from. So I, I anytime we're talking, and uh, whenever I'm in debates, um, I'm going to explain the full scope of what we're involved with, and that's that is a major piece of this uh, of what is at play right now. So I. Um, you know, we, we've got to we've got to point out everything that is at stake here. And um, well, listen, we 
I want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming onto the program tonight, and uh, I've learned a lot from listening to you, and uh, I know that a lot of the other folks uh, listening tonight have the the folks in the chat room uh, have been very happy with uh, a lot of the stuff that you've been saying. I put your uh, the two uh, websites up, okay. the one for the uh, 2A Patriots and also the one uh, for your uh, your mission statement for your uh, election, uh, upcoming you. election. And uh, we wish you the best of luck in that. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'd like you to come back again and uh, give us an update on how things are going, if you wouldn't mind, uh, in the next couple of months. I'd be delighted and uh, be happy to. Oh, that would be great. And uh, and thanks, everybody, for uh, uh, for your questions. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you this next Tuesday. We have the, the English lady is yelling in my ear that there's 10 seconds left. Okay. So... Uh, Thanks to everybody. Thank you, Son of Martha. Thanks to the Fort the Fort Stewart people, and uh, that was uh, the wrong button there. Thanks to the Fort Stewart people, and uh, God bless you all. And we'll see you again this next Tuesday. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.